Elliot Goldstein is hosting a radio and podcast show out of New Mexico called NMDJ Presents Fly on the Wall. We are building a fresh, fabulous podcast library of musicians, writers, artists, and all good people of note, with many new and exciting guests to come. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. We appreciate your help. We would like to thank Alan Gower for the intro music. Enjoyed the show. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. I'd like to tell you how I got started. Um, I really had no idea on um, the beginnings of what had even where to start. And I stumbled upon Anchor by Spotify. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And I'll explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And um, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast automatically on listening platforms. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on other uh, platforms. And it, Anchor made it so simple. And um, it's all in one place. Everything you need to make a podcast, you can find in one place. And um, the amazing part is it's all free. So um, there is no uh, downside to any of this. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. And again, it's the Anchor app or go anchor.fm. And it's real easy to get started. And um, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall and uh, back to the show. Welcome to New Mexico DJ Service presents Fly on the Wall podcast with your host, Elliot Goldstein. We were pleased to be able to talk to Lowrider Band. The Lowrider Band consists of three of the four surviving original core group members of the multi-platinum selling band war. Howard Scott, Lee Oscar, and Harold Brown. These members lost the right in federal court to use and tour under the name war in the mid-1990s to Far Out Productions and Jerry Goldstein. Join us as we discuss the past, present, and future of the real war members. This podcast is listener-funded, so if you wish to assist, the Venmo info is New Mexico DJ Service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ Service at gmail.com. Any size contributions would be appreciated. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we are here. So, guys, what's happening? Welcome, 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 and I uh, hope everybody's safe and doing well. And um, let's talk about the um, – how are we going to um, refer to the band? Lowriders or the original band? How? Lowrider. Lowrider, okay. Lowrider band. The Lowrider band. So the Lowrider band, which is the, the band that everybody knows – do we say, wait a minute, hold on a second. Do we say the Lowrider Band? Uh, or do we just, or is the trademark just Lowrider Band? I think it's just Lowrider Band. Okay. Well, Lowrider Band, and we also got the original Lowrider Band, too. Yeah, but we, we that's too long, you know. Okay. Lowrider Band. Lowrider Band, okay. So Lowrider Band, yeah, there you go. Lowrider Band is the band that made all those hits. You're the guys that made it all happen, and um... well, that's that's not realistic. We're not the band who made all the hits. 
We are, we are, the, we are the, some of the musicians in the band who are responsible for all those hits. Right. Well, you're part of it. Right. So the band Lowrider is is not the. No, 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 no. But the three of you are the. The guys. three of us, correct? So the three, the three of you are the guys who did the hits. Yes. Right. Right. So, and, and the three that I'm talking to are Lee Oscar, Harold Ray Brown Jr., and of course... No, senior. Howard, no, no, senior. I mean senior, and Howard Scott. I mean, and just look at Harold. He he looks young for his age, but he still looks senior. He looks stand good. Yeah. Yeah, this is my ID, so I can get my wine. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you guys, I, I, was t- I was telling Lee a little earlier, I must have gotten hit with COVID. All my hair fell out this week. Over the past week or two. It's not a joke, Harold. It's not a joke. I'm serious. He was vaccinated three times, and he and he he just got sick from COVID and lost all his hair just a few days ago. Yeah. So, um, this is fucking. I don't know, man. It's because I live in Long Beach. I don't know, man. You're good to hear that, Harold. Look at Lee's hair. Yeah. I don't care what to say. So, um, so, so you three were, were members of the original band, and you, you three were responsible. You all co-wrote, you know, most of the stuff was co-written. All the hits were anyway, and um, everything was co-written. Yeah, yeah, everything was right. Yeah, yeah, everything was co-written, and um, I happened to see you guys with Eric back in 1970 at uh, the Felt Forum in New York. Wow. And um, uh, Shocking Blue opened up the show for you. Do you remember Shocking Blue? No, but I remember, I remember playing the Feld. I remember playing the auditorium. Yeah, yeah the Feld Forum. Yeah, Feld. and um, yeah, and uh, they, they, you know, when, uh, Eric, when Eric left the band, that's when the big hits started coming. Well, I don't think it has to do with what Eric was doing. No, 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 no. But he was gone when you when. Well, it, because it was well. Let me, if I may, just say from my. The way I remember things, Eric Burton. I mean, part of the whole strategy was that with uh, Far Productions, mm-hmm. uh, the management of that is that, and Eric was part partners in business with Jerry Goldstein and Steve Gold, is that uh, with his reputation, uh, you know, as on the same level as Mick Jagger or anybody else, you know, on that level, right. um, he was going to spearhead the band as a. Uh, Eric Burton and War, but but we as War as the backup band was going to be eventually become uh, um, its its own entity, not just as a backup band, but so that was the strategy. Okay. Uh, also, as a record deal with United Artists, where Eric Burton was still stuck, and Mike Jeffries wouldn't let him out of the deal from from MGM that was carried over from the Animals. Okay. Um, yeah. So War was going to be doing their own recording regardless. That was the idea of them too, yeah. They wanted to build that. And so that's – so, I mean, the work – you know, let's, let's, be, let's be totally honest about things. You don't get a hit just because you've got great music. Uh, it's, it's no different than the horse races. Just because you've got a great horse that runs, it doesn't mean it wins. Yeah, um, you know, um, the marketing and the strategies and everything. And, and, and uh, you know, Steve Gold was very, very brilliant. Yes. He was – he was, but at the same time, he was the most obnoxious social, social human being. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that picture right there, I designed that. I, know I, you did. I, I designed that, and I had Howard Miller with my, with my designs. He worked for me, and originally that face was going to be called Smile Happy. I was going to call the album Smile Happy, 
and I pulled a gold tooth in there. Yeah. I did that. And then Steve Gold copied that image and put a diamond gold tooth in his, in himself. And so people thought people thought this image was an image of him. But he actually copied that to make that to make that uh, persona. Really? Yeah. Wow. Let, 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 let me jump in here for one second. When, when we were working with Eric Burden and we, you're talking about hit records. When we did a, by a, a, a Eric Burden declares war. Yeah. And we had a song called Spill the Wine, which is like, yeah. that got Eric Burden at war on the map. It got right. us, you know, no, everybody noticed that. But when we did the Black Man's Burden, which is a follow up that should have been bigger than Eric Burden declares war, something happened to that album where it didn't really even register. I thought it was a better album too. What, no, but but Howard, the, the the whole thing that the marketing from Far Productions did is not albums. They they were marketing singles. Okay, that was even matter of fact. When somebody would ask me what band are you with, they never marketed the name of the band. But to be honest with you, uh, if I said War, they, first of all they thought I said War because my R is in danger. <laughs> and I said no War W A R War. No, I don't know. But if I mention, but, but if I mentioned, but if I mentioned the name of a comp, a song that was a big hit, oh, you guys are the ones. So, so they were really focusing more on uh, marketing singles, you know, the crossovers and that. And that album, double album, uh, that Black Man's Burden. I don't know if it really had. A, a material in there. It was a lot of jams and a lot of things that yeah, was. It was like a, yeah, that was. But, it, but it didn't have anything people could bite the teeth into to put in 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 the world that they're working with, which is Radioland and the payola and all the shit that was going. You know that where you are with with radio stations back then. It was that was a huge frontier to get your record played, yeah. and you had to have a single and crossover. So Black man's burden. Um, Kind of, um, that was more of a concept type album. You had the long, you know, you started out with Painted Black, you came back to it, there's reprise in it. They in a life, man. There were some good songs on there. There were some great songs on there. But I don't think it was single origin. No. But there's another thing, you, another thing you guys, you just mentioned, let's say you go into Tower Records. You want to, here's my opinion about marketing mm-hmm. with this. They did it, everybody in the music industry, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm sorry to say it, I felt were, well, I don't say stupid, even though I feel that. Um, what happened? What, what? It was stupid. Okay. When you're going to when you go into Tower Records. Here's an here's the example. You have all these categories, sure. and people do judge a book by the cover. Even to say you tell, don't judge. So people are very attracted by a certain category, and they're very uh, the opposite, like opera. Oh no, or jazz. Oh no, or whatever. Which you know some so. People are gravitated. People are gravitated to go into a department in Tower Records that they is their music. So if so, when they put all the War albums because they're African American band, you know bullshit like you know labeling like that, they put our product in the R and B section. Okay, now here's here's my here's my argument. If you got legit formatting on radio. Jazz, R&B, and pop—all four formats were actually playing in regular rotation the mm-hmm. same tune. World is a ghetto, or Cisco Kid, you know. There, and and if you talk to 
um, each of, say somebody says, man, I love jazz. Did you hear this really cool jazz tune called World is a Ghetto? And somebody says, oh, I can't stand jazz, man. I like pop. I don't like R&B or jazz. Did you hear this cool tune called World is a Ghetto? And somebody says, I can't stand pop and, and jazz. I love R&B. And you should hear this cool. So everybody is following the categories. But if it fit, but if it was played legit because of fans' responses in rotation to sell advertisement in all four, in all three formats, they should have put, out of every ten albums, they should have put six in pop and three in R&B and one in jazz, just based on your average. Because people go into Tower Records in the category they think they like, and if they got into pop and went into jazz, they will have never seen our albums right. unless they ask for it. That's stupid because people buy on impulse. They see something, oh, that's the album. So the only ones that actually bought all our music unless they specifically asked for it, would it be the people that walked in the R&B section? And usually they would be African-Americans or Chicanos, you know. But but in the big wider scope of the pop tunes and everything we had, it was so much bigger than the sales even because, because of the idiots that put labels on music for the wrong reasons. If you want to put labels on music, it's only for two reasons, either for marketing or for, cate- or, or for librarians. And okay. if you don't... That's it. Okay, well, check this. Check this. Well, I'm going back to the Black Man's Burden for a minute because what 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 happened? You got to remember what happened with the Black Man's Burden. What was that? What was the guy's name that was the president of MGM at the time? They had a Mike Stewart. With, uh, what's his name? Mike Stewart. Mike. No, 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 no. MGM. Oh, oh MGM. That was Mike Curb. Mike Curb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curb. Yeah. Now, he, 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 didn't he? Didn't he? Didn't he? Like, uh, uh, put the whole lot of um, the Black Man's Burden took it off the market. Well, but, well, first of all, because he's single-oriented too. Number two, he was he was not happy about Far Productions, Steve and Jerry, because at one point when he said Eric Burton declares war, and he was in Mallorca, Spain, he was bragging that he, Eric Burton got the band War now, as if it's going to be on as as, MGM. as yeah, because it was MGM. We had a release, but because of the deal, Eric still had to honor. That's why he didn't take credit for Spill the Wine and writing. We didn't write 100%. We wrote the music. He wrote the lyrics. And and by the way, it was not inspired from Lonnie Jordan spilling wine in the... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's okay? bullshit. Lonnie that's Jordan lied through Lonnie, that. Lonnie, well, so is Jerry Goldstein because they think that's a funny story. No, he spilled wine. Ripple wine got all fucking drunk and fucked up a, a recording session that cost not only money but cost us valuable inspiration that... By, by jinxing what we have going, what was going on there. So that's nothing to brag about. Eric Burton came up with the concept when I was with him in that Jensen Healy car that he drove then. And we were going to San Bernardino for a first concert as Eric Burton and Wall. If you remember that uh, that uh, bowling alley where he was, and right. Carmen and Carmen, the Spanish girlfriend of his, were living with him in on Briar, on Briar, and I was staying in his place. And he said to me, "I want to do a song where." Well, we're doing like a kind of a Latin groove, and I talk about spill the wine, in other words, spill the alcohol, and take the pearl, which means, you know, the acid. Not take the pearl, take the acid. And my, and my curb, when we had the single, we were going to put our magic mountain, and the B-side was going to be spill the wine. Yeah. And, my, and my curb, and, and so two things. First of all, my curb didn't get to publishing because Eric Burton had agreement that if he writes something, MGM, based on the animal agreement, would get they would get the publishing. So he opted not to take credit as a writer 
and we would get the same. So Fab Music, which he was partners with Stephen Jerry, right, would have the publishing number number. Yeah, so that was that, and uh, and uh, that was the other point I was going to say. Um, uh, um, oh, so the the B side was Spill of Wine. Mike Herb heard we're going to climb, we're going to climb the mountain, and we're going to ball, ball, ball. And his whole concept was Mike Curb to write for Lieutenant Governor of California. Yeah, right. And when he was running for it, his campaign was anti-drugs and anti-sex. Right. So Steve Gold, brilliant guy, came up with a bumper sticker that said Curb, which is Mike Curb's last name, C-U-R-B, Curb, the clap. Yep, and, that was, and that was sold in a lobby by the free clinic who was trying to help uh, you know, for, for people to be treated for CLAP, for, for venereal diseases. And Mike Kerb was doing his campaign on Sunset Boulevard in this place. There was a few hundred people listening to his monologue. Vote for me. Vote for me. Yeah, but hold on a second, Harold, before that. Yeah, vote for me and anti-sex, anti-drugs. And so Steve Gold set up with the free clinic to raise money to help with venereal disease by selling a, a bumper sticker when they walk back out through the lobby to get outside, and they see the bumper sticker says, curb the clap, get rid of the clap. <laughs> and that was brilliant. And and so so this second album that Harold is holding, double album, didn't have any singles that my curb felt. Uh, the whole controversial about the sex, about this and that, mm-hmm. was against his whole thing. So Mike Kerb said, I don't want uh, Magic Mountain uh, because it's it's sex-oriented. I want Spill the Wine because he thought, Spill the Wine, take that girl, you know, like that little fucking little, you know, like, and it's still about sex, but it's, it's so that's the story, you know. That's, okay. you know, well, yeah. And um, when Eric was introduced to the band, you and him were introduced to the band at the same time? No, I met Eric at a club called The um, Experience, right. where they would let me in for free, and there was jams every night okay. on Sunset Boulevard, far east of the, where Sunset Strip was, far east of Whiskey to Go-Go and the Rainbow and all, that, and, and all that stuff. And I met Eric there, and then he and I used to sit in with the same band, the, the Blues Image came out of Florida, and they would be there with Mike Panera and Jam. Right, oh. right. Yeah. And, and, no, no, that was before they had that. Then... Eric wanted to form, wanted to that to be the backup band. He was going to include me in it, and then then they got a deal with Atco Records, right, Captain Wright, and so we had to go and look for a band, and that's what uh, Peter Rosen, who was a bass player who worked for Steve Gold and Jerry Goldstein for far, uh, for uh, Visual Things. Visual Things was a poster company. That's how Steve and Jerry knew got to know through the back door. They knew my, you know, Jim Morrison and everybody because the posters was a big deal. Right. So with that kind of uh, connections, and uh, and uh, and Peter Rosen uh, invited uh, Eric and me to go down and see the band. And so yeah. we went down to see the band at my at at, at um, uh, the North Hollywood. Uh, Jeff. Hey, 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 Lee, wait, hold up. Yeah, yeah. what was it called? The Creators. The Ragdoll. Hey, hey, Elliot, are you are you on the air live? How are we doing this? No, no, no. I'm re- I'm recording this. I'll play it later. Okay. Okay. Check this. But what we're, we're talking about about uh, uh, Eric Burden and coming to see this band called the Night Shift. We were playing at the Ragdoll behind okay. the uh, the. Uh, Football player from the L.A. Rams, number seventy-five, Deacon Deacon Jones, defensive end, 
one of the prime guys ever to play football. We were playing behind him, right. and we had this show, and we were kicking it at the rag. Now, we had a band. We were employed working, and Lee and Eric, I don't know if you guys had a job or not, but they came looking for a job, right, Harold Brown? Huh? Yeah, we were there. They came there, and they found us. They found us. But the I thing is, we were, we were, we were rocking at the ragdoll when Lee came up with Jerry Goldstein, Eric Burden, and Steve Gold. So who were the creators? There was prior to, um, there was three. So, so, so Harold, Harold, were you in the creators? Right. Yeah, yeah but that was the, that's the band that, um, Howard's talking about, right? Well, yeah. we started off as the creators, but right. that particular night we were the night shift. Okay. Because, uh, we start off the creators. It was Howard, BB uh, Dickerson. Because you know, Howard mm-hmm. is BB Morris Dickerson's uncle. Yes, and then we had like uh, uh, different people. I mean, Lonnie was on keyboards. George Brown he just transitioned on us a few months back. And Bobby Nicholson. We we're kind of like from the hood. Right. Not the neighborhood, but the hood. Right. They call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I told one of my neighbors over here. <laughs> I told him, yeah, you're trying to be back in the neighborhood. We don't call it the neighborhood. We call it the hood. Okay. <laughs> Howard always walks around with this uh, uh, necklace, you know, a Texas, a gold necklace. I said, Howard, yeah. you know damn well. He's straight out of Compton. <laughs> he came <laughs> out the hood. So, I'm straight out of Compton, but I live in Texas. Been living here for the longest, so I know it. But yeah, you still got that Compton blood. I got exiled. I got exiled out of California to Texas, man. They kicked me out of Cali. <laughs> well, two things my mama told me before she transitioned. She says, "Son, you are a Californian, and number two, you're too honest." Okay, mama. <laughs> wow. Who was that that busted wind? That was me. <laughs> wow. So. Yeah, so okay. we were the uh, creators because that's how when Howard and I was over at Jeffy's in South Los Angeles on Avalon and El Segundo, and he used to always tell us, that "If y'all are gonna make you know get these people, you got to get them dancing. They couldn't just put salted peanuts out there and all that stuff mm-hmm. to make them drink, but we had to play what was on the jukebox. So we had this thing where we would play." The cover song, Bobby Blue Bland, B.B. King, whoever. But then in the middle of each song, we would go into a jam, and then we'd come back to the head and say, take it to the head, take it. Yeah, Johnny Hamilton, Moses Wheelock, Milton, Duke. We call him Duke. And we would do that. So we would call ourselves the creators. So when Howard got, we were, you know, the first black, one of the first black bands booked on the Sunset Strip. A lot of people really? don't realize it. Wow. Because in 1964, after Howard and I came out of high school in 64, Howard Compton hired me, Long Beach Poly. Uh, we, I started a business right down the street. I'm right down the street from where I started my first business when I was only 18. Well, we went and joined the Musicians Union in 1964. And Vince DeBerry was there. He worked with Lucia Ball, Desi Arnaz. He was a trumpet player. Mm-hmm. He liked the way we came in with... You know, Howard is always dressed sharp. But we looked like, you know, it was about business. So we they started sending us over to him. We played at the uh, Whiskey A Go-Go, Gazzari's. And then we were working with Bob Eubanks over at, uh, you know, this uh, Teen Taverns and stuff. 
and we were playing, and we were just right there. And just before Howard got drafted, they was, we was getting ready to be booked in Las Vegas at the Thunderbird Hotel. They was going to pay us $500 each. Oh. All right, that's a lot of money back then. Yeah. yeah, and the rooms. And then all of a sudden, Howard got drafted into the Army. Bobby Nicholson got drafted. I said, oh, boy. Well, and then I, my business started going downhill because I wasn't running it because I was out playing. So then I went, uh, when Howard got drafted, uh, and went to the army in Germany. Oh, I never forget. I was working, I went off working as a machinist in the, you know, building potentiometers and rheostats for when they were shooting monkeys and stuff into outer space. So I get a, I did, then I thought I lost my best buddy. Howard was on, in a tank and it turned on its side, flipped. And I started crying like a little baby. I didn't tell you that did a Howard. You should have been there with me. He had flat feet. He couldn't go. <laughs> no, no, they had me doing government work. Some of it was top secret. I had security clearance. Okay. Yeah, they had me working top government secret, work. Huh? <laughs> yeah. He, built, he, some... he, was, he was building the tanks that you flipped in. <laughs> oh, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't funny. <laughs> so, go ahead, Harold. So, so then uh, Howard come back. And I told Howard, because Howard's always in the medical field. He could have probably been a doctor if he didn't go doing this. And he was about to take a job over at, uh, was it, Harbor General or something. I said, Howard, let's try it one more time. And then that's when I, you know, we come, went on. I was working the night shift, and that's when we called ourselves the night shift. Okay. That's yeah. how we evolved to the night shift. Okay. And then okay. that's when we, you know, down to my last $7, I ran across uh that's when I, uh, what's his name, Sonny Bono? Yeah. That's when I ran into him and stuff, and everything changed, and I called up Howard on the phone. I was over on Fairfax and Sunset at that Sunset Studio, whatever they call it. And hey, 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 Elliot. Yes. Let me just, just drop this for, for before we, uh, when we were the creators, we used to go up to a studio in Hollywood called Crystal. Okay. Remember Crystal, Harold? Oh, That's yeah, where I remember Crystal. Spectrum. That's what Phil Spector was right. having uh, mm-hmm. all his sessions. And we would get in there. I don't know how we got into the studio to watch this <laughs> stuff. We'd be in the, in the studio watching Phil Spector. Yeah. Wow. Well, Crystal's studio was Andrew Berlin and um, and John, um, um, what's John's last name? John, yeah. Harold. Oh, uh, Fishbach. Fishbach. Yeah. They owned the Crystal studio and... And my my recollection with it was that when we went in there, Jerry made a special deal with him. He always makes special deals. <laughs> like in other words, it's two hundred dollars uh, an hour is is the is the record uh, is what it costs to be in the studio. But he'll give it to Jerry for twenty five bucks an hour. <laughs> but yet we are billed for two hundred dollars an hour, and he pockets and he pockets one hundred and seventy five per. You know, whatever it is, that's the oh, idea. Hollywood because, because the PO is sent to the record label, and they are and they are being billed at a two hundred an hour that we got to reimburse out of our royalties. Wow. So, but Crystal Studio was was a great studio, but but Andrew, but Andrew, I'm sorry, Andrew Berlin, the owner, he had no social, he didn't know anything about Batman, so he had very technical with studio machines and everything. So it was a great studio, big room. But if you didn't want, but if you sat in a lobby, it wasn't very comfortable, um, you know, to be out of the way. And then Steve Wewanda got, 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 uh, got, uh, got to know about, um, 
how much we are doing studio work in there. And he was, and John Fishback, the other owner, was engineering him. So he blocked it for over a fucking year. He blocked the place for over a year so nobody else could get in, even though he hardly used it. Really? And, yeah. So that's a little story about Crystal, man. We did a lot of stuff there. Yeah. So Crystal Studio. It doesn't exist anymore. It's done. No, 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 no. But that was, um, that was a famous studio. Beach, didn't the Beach Boys work out of there for a while? Probably a lot of people. The, the famous studio, the famous studio before this new, new money came in was Gold Star Studio. Right. And that, that was, was right, in Santa Monica. Wasn't that it? was right there. That was right there, right, right around, around the corner. The corner. Yeah. yeah. Spectre used uh, Gold Star a lot too. Everybody used it. And yeah. Doc Siegel was the main engineer, and that's how I got to. Meet Stu Levine and Hugh Matsukela. That was in, the big studio. In, in fact, Jerry uh, Goldstein, I mean, whatever, you know, I know he's a creep, but uh, oh, he no. was responsible for my boyfriend's back, Hang On Sloopy, I Want Candy. Yeah, but he's not responsible for it, as far as I know. There was other people. Not, that, not, not Hang On Sloopy, not Hang On Sloopy. My, uh, my boyfriend's back and I Want Candy, yes, but not Hang On Sloopy. Yeah, but Howard, but Howard. But Howard, my boss is back that he wasn't the only writer, even though he took claim. He's he's done the same thing other people. He had he had two partners. He had two partners in New York, and then they had uh, they put like they were like from the jungle. What was that? What did they call it? His band. It was like <laughs> such. Oh yeah. It was such fucking whitey, you know, with this with zebras with the zebra skins and everything. So it was so arrogant. Wow. I seen a picture. I wish I could find it. I would share it. Oops. <laughs> so, okay, so you guys have been, I mean, you've grown up together pretty much. You've been together for a hell of a long time. I'm still I'm still a newcomer, even though yeah. it's been yeah. 50 years. And, and what was it, Lee, what was it like being the, um, you were pretty much the minority in that band. You were the. Yeah, well, uh, what did you say? Was it, was it like being a white guy in a black band? Is that, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, he wasn't. He wasn't a minority. No, 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 not, not, not that. The Jewish guy. <laughs> oh, let me got a lot in let, let me I, I don't mean to talk a lot even though I am Cla let me just clarify something I I wasn't self-conscious about the shit a lot of people in America is so so to me I was just excited to be among some other people and calling it a band I had no idea how great everybody was because right. if you just played a guitar and held it up that was good enough for me man I was just so excited to be part of something I mean, that was, you know, so I didn't have a lot of luxuries to pick and choose. I was just happy to get off the streets and, and really connect with a celebrity like Eric Burton and then this amazing band that but I'm going to be part of. Looking, so at it, looking at it from my point, yeah. you know, as a kid, you guys came in, you look, you look pretty tough. You know, you had the entire, you know, the whole uh, uh, African-American thing going and then you and Eric. You know, and you did your thing with your, with the harps, and Eric was the singer. And you guys are kind of fierce when you hit that stage. Hey, Elliot, yeah. Elliot, look, when, when we hit the stage, nobody thought Lee was a white guy. They thought he was a light-skinned brother. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, with a natural. Everybody thought he was black. He had that big so, fro going on. Lee was, Lee was getting by. He was just like being the black guy in the band with the big fro. Yeah, yeah, the big fro was going on. <laughs> Yeah, they probably. I never, I, I never made those assumptions. As a, as a matter of fact, you remember that young, that young uh, famous journalist that United Artists and, and Far Production hired, and and we were on camera. He was interviewing each individual. He, all, he also came to visit each other's homes, to to capture us and all that. Do you remember that guy? 
There was a black guy who was like a famous journalist that was hired. Do you remember that, Howard? I don't remember, but go ahead with the story, Lee. Yeah, so we were all, we were sitting in at the office uh, at one point next to each other on the couches in Steve and Jerry's office, and the cameras on each individually asking some questions, really good questions. When it came to me, the fucking guy's asking me two stupid questions. How is it being a white guy with a black band? Uh-huh. And number two is, how is it a white guy got so much soul? And I, and I got so embarrassed that I said, I said to him, why would you ask me a stupid fucking question and everybody else you asking intelligent questions? Wow. Well, <laughs> wow. So, uh, but, you know, at the time. Hell, the strange love. Strange love. Yeah, right. That's what it was. Strange love? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so but, see, was... but I was going to say something, Elliot. Uh, I think that's why our music was so unique. Yeah. Because if you come into where Howard and I grew up in the demographics, mm-hmm. right down the street here, I go by where I grew up, you know, I remember I didn't realize what color I was until I was in the fourth grade. Right. Because when I grew up, uh, Bobby Montez lived across the street from me. Larry Fukuhara and them just came out to concentration camps. There was Mormons behind me. Then I went to First Lutheran, which was predominantly European, you know. German, you know. Yeah. And I remember I was in the port. I, I drive by the school and I always make the sign of call. I go by, see all these kids playing in the same playground I played in. And I'd be looking at them. And I remember I was in the fourth grade. And I was in there and, and race came up. And they started talking about color. And I did this. I went and I went like this. Wow. Uh oh! <laughs> hey, 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 Harold! Uh-huh. I remember. I remember when we first moved to Compton, out of San Pedro. I knew one thing about me: eyes black. I ain't never been, <laughs> I I ain't been short about who I was. <laughs> no, oh. but I didn't, you know. And then, then when I, we walked the streets here in Long Beach, but you see, you guys don't realize your own kind of music. You guys made it a lot easier. I'll, I'll tell you why. I mean, I was young, you know, younger when. Um, well, we were all younger, but I, I went to a, a predominantly black high school. And um, when bands like you hit the hit the scene, you kind of made it okay for blacks and whites to work together. You know, you really did. It made life a lot easier. I don't know if you okay. guys ever, you know, thought about that, ever accepted that. You know, guys like Santana, guys like you... Um, Chambers Brothers. It was pretty cool to start kind of working with... Like, Chambers Brothers? Did you say Chambers Brothers? Yeah, Chambers Brothers. Oh, yeah. Chambers Brothers, yeah. yeah. Chambers Brothers. And um, you know what I'm saying? You, you kind of helped out. I don't know if you realize it, if you give, gave yourself credit for that. No, um, I, I, that would be a very dangerous thing. That would no, be... No, but, but no, 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 but listen to it from my point of view. I'm listening from the point of view. Yeah, yeah, as a student... You know, but you're asking me a question. If I consider that, if we ever consider that, that would be uh, that would be suicidal. That is that is a f- uh, very foolish thing to. Well, I'm giving I, you, I'm giving you credit. No, no, no. I get you. I get you. And okay. I and I and this is why I'm saying in America, there's people are so self-conscious uh-huh. that everybody's trying to be politically correct. Correct. And the minute you're trying to be politically correct, you're not correct at all because right. you're walking on eggs and you're trying to you're treating somebody different than just being natural and and what it is is what it is. You know, hey, the, hey, hang on, one, hang on, hang on one second. I'm sorry, but 
let me just say very short concept here. If everybody focused on on commonality rather than differences, you will find that ninety nine percent of all of us is a commonality. Very very small percentage, maybe one percent of all of us is different. In other words, so don't everybody focuses the fears is to seeing the difference. That's fear, right? And and right. And, and, and 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 that's something people in America are brought up to be so self conscious of. Like I remember when Charles Middle sax player standing next to me, and there was and we were Newport Jazz Festival, and this dude was heckling me. In, in front of the, out on, in the audience, right on stage, because he, he could see me close, and he says, "You ain't no brother," you know, yelling like that. And while I'm playing, and Charles was about to jump off the stage and beat the shit on him because because there's so much of that self consciousness, right? And, but, and I'm glad I didn't buy into it because that would make me feel like uh, that would make you nervous. That makes you feel like, what do you do? You know, but, but so, we're going back fifty some odd years. It was a different world. Well, fifty years is nothing. Yeah, no, but it was a different world. It was. It's the same world. We think it's different. Hey, 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 Mr. Hawkeye. Yeah. Look, 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 look. Take a chill pill for a minute, man. You're getting long winded today. Let, let, the host, let, let the host get a couple of words in. Yeah. I'm excited to talk to you, so I'm let, shutting up now. Go use the bathroom, man. Yeah, let, 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 let <laughs> the honky. see your face, Howard. Let the honky get a word in. Who's <laughs> <laughs> the honky? But you know what I'm saying? I'm, saying? I'm giving you credit for that, okay? I'm giving you credit. You weren't the Rascals, which is, you know, all white, the Vanilla Fudge, all white, all those bands. Once you guys popped in, I'm telling you, you might not have noticed it. You might not have registered it, but you did cause, and I think it was a good effect, that, hey, people can, you don't have to be in your tribe. You can mix, you know, and um, thank you for that. Well, one thing I have to say right there, Elliot, is because where we grew up, the base, you know, like Charles Miller. Nobody called me until I'm taking care of what I want to do. Call me later. But where we grew up at, it was like uh, Charles Miller. Mm -hmm. Now, he is from Kansas. But then, all of a sudden, he came right back. You know, he's here at Long Beach Poly. Mm -hmm. And my cousin and him used to play baseball with, uh, uh, you know, with Charles. I was yeah. talking to my cousin the other day. You know, and he was telling me how Charles was on second base and how they communicated and stuff. Because, see, virtually where we grew up the base, like B.B., Howard, myself, we came from a cornucopia of all kind of nationalities. Because I remember I would walk from home and have to walk to school or something. And by the time I'd get to school, I'd walk past the bar, you know, or something. People be playing some country and western. Right. Or then I could be walking and then go by a, a, a church, you know, people doing gospel music. Hallelujah, you know. Right. And then I would hear, you know, Latin bands playing. Because even like the bolero and stuff, a lot of stuff, you I was, you know, conscious of that. Uh, one side note, you know, about growing up diversity. Here's a book. Why you want to call? Leave me alone. Call me later. But, uh, this is a book. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the Zoot Suit Riots. Sure. Okay, in 1944, and so it happened here in Long Beach, North Long Beach, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, a family, ironically, the Shibley family, 
I grew up with us in the Cub Scout, Boy Scout, Civil Air Patrol with them. I don't, you won't be able to see this, but there's a picture of them. They had them on. Uh, I see it. Okay. Well, she was my den mother in the Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. Well, he represented all the Latinos that was being, you know, uh, uh, they were coming down on, uh, what are you saying, blaming them for certain crimes that they didn't commit. Mm-hmm. So, okay. you know, we getting them before Martin Luther King started marching and stuff, we was already integrating. I'd go over to their house and spend a night, a couple of nights. They would come to our home, spend a couple of nights. And okay. so... Our, you know, that, my whole attitude, and most of us, the group, and then, by the way, Lee, when I went to Denmark, I'll never forget that first meal we had, Lee, when he was in there, and we was eating mashed potatoes or something, liver and gravy or something, or fried, and he, and he walked in, he looked over there, and he says, I think it was, you know, back around Philadelphia somewhere. It was in Philly. Yeah, in Philly. I was just sitting near Delaware. It was yeah, just- right, Delaware, right. And he says, you call that soul talk? <laughs> That's what we eat. <laughs> well, hey, 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 check. Go ahead, Al. Well, yeah. well, 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 the, 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 the thing in Philadelphia, we, it was a very, uh, it was a church, and the, a minister was there, Daddy Grace. He was a real big minister in the black community, but he had this he had this soul food restaurant. But let me, let me switch, switch gears. Go. When, when we left, when Eric Burden left us, we didn't leave him. He left us because, you know, we I thought I thought Eric Burden had one of the best bands ever because we were kicking ass behind him. We were, we were one of the best live bands ever. I mean, not ever, but at that time. So when we when Eric left us and we had to, like, create our own music, we had it in us. But I think what happened with the war music, how it got to be that way, we were, we were never so secure with the sound that we had that kept us on edge, and kept us developing and growing because we were, we weren't so secure with everything we did that we had to just keep on growing and making it better and better as we did. So that's how we developed the war of music. But it came from being so uh, a jamming with Eric Burton, which was a, which was a pleasure. Then when we got on our own, we had to like create this whole thing from within ourselves, which is war music. Okay. Now I spoke to I don't know if you were here, Howard, but I was talking to the other guys that. Um, I mean, in my opinion, your band got tighter, and um, you had a you had a heck of a lot more hits when Eric left. We had we had to, we had to find those hits because when we did the first uh, uh, War album, we did songs like uh, 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 "Vivica," which is yeah. a great song. Right. We did "Lonely Feeling," which was a great song. Uh, uh, "Son of Son," yeah. But we did we didn't have that breakthrough song that came from the. Uh, uh, what was the name of the first album? Uh, <laughs> it was um, called War. 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 Yeah, War. Okay. The first album was called War, but like, it didn't have that breakthrough song because I thought Son of Son would probably be the son song that that uh, uh, brought, you know did it for us, but it wasn't. The the War didn't really start selling records until we put out I think Slipping Into Darkness yeah. on the uh-huh. second album. That okay. kind of broke us. Yeah, and uh, can I just say one quick thing about harmonica and sax? That was the highlight to me when we did the first album, "Sun O Sun." Ba da dee da, ba da dee da, ba da dee ba ba da ba. When I when when I came up with that line with Charles, man, it 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 fulfilled that. It started to fulfill that dream that I always wanted to have sax and harmonica being in a band. Really? And, oh, 
Yeah. Let, let, let me do. Let, let me check this. But when we came up, what Lee just said was horn lines with harmonica sax had never been done before. We came right. up with all these horn bands. Every band that came up with us had horn, full horn section, and we had harmonica sax doing horn lines, which nobody's done to this day. No. So that's what made right there. Yeah, old day music. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's right down the street. I drive by there maybe two or three times. That's a synagogue right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right there. There's a, synagogue liquor, there's a liquor store back then. Yeah, I drive oh. by there. See, that's why I feel extremely blessed. I I know where I come from. Yeah, I'm always constantly from. reminded. Wow. Yeah, right out the hood, Howard. <laughs> so guys, but but, but but so. So, I mean, you three guys are still like brothers after all these years. I mean, you could tell you guys actually like each other. Sometimes. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. No, we, 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 yeah. we, we the, the credibility uh, I, I feel I have is I can walk in anywhere and I can I feel like most people don't have. I have a relationship with uh, colleagues, Howard and Harold, friends, been in business, whatever, uh, for 40, like 50 years. Yeah. Most people don't have that credibility. Right. And, and you know, I, I talk to a lot of uh, performers and, you know, they'll say to me, yeah, I'll talk to you, but eh, don't don't get him on, uh, you know, let's. But you three guys, I mean, you still you still a team, which is beautiful. And I think part of it is because we never we other than when we did music, we didn't really hang out a lot. OK. <laughs> I mean, uh, I wanted to and sometimes everybody, but we all had a personal lives, too. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't like this playing this thing. Oh, we are a family. Remember Papa D. Allen when I when I, he was giving me a lift because I didn't have a car back then, and he was taking me to the back roads. Uh-huh. And and I I made the comment that uh, I feel like we we are family. And he got stopped the car, got out of the car, and started yelling, "You pooping dandruff!" He got so pissed off yeah, from, dandruff for, me to, from, for me to call us a family. Wow. <laughs> so what was it like touring with the with War? For anybody, who are you asking? Anybody. How was the Taurus? Must have been insanity, right? Howard, you're not talking. Yeah, I, oh, listen, I, I'll, I'll tell you what we did, man. We toured with some of the biggest R&B bands. Like, they would put us on the show. I with Santana. Well, no, no, got to go back. They put us on with Santana, the Grateful yeah. Dead. And uh, what was that other group out of uh, San Francisco that Grace Slick was in? Airplane. Jefferson yeah, Airplane. Jefferson Airplane. We'd be on the show with all those. It would cost five dollars to ten dollars to come and see all those bands up right. at uh, the, the the theater up there in uh, San Francisco. The Fillmore, yeah, Fillmore. the Fillmore. But then what War did that made us different was we didn't play as we grew black bubblegum. We didn't play no bubblegum music. We kept it hardcore, which yeah. is maybe something that people didn't like because we were hard for real. And we would hit hard. We didn't play no bubblegum music at all. We would jam something different every day. And sometimes day. It would be maybe just two tunes was the whole concert. No. <laughs> you're, you're, that's why everybody has to listen to your live work. It's so different than your studio work. You, you guys, man, no, no you black bubblegum as well. No, you guys, were, you guys were like one of the first jam bands out there. You would just take it, you know. And, and that you did that with Eric as well, though, right? Yes. Yeah, we made the stuff. Eric would just start a poem or start, start something. Yeah. Just say to us, okay, you, I'm the captain. We're going to do this or whatever it is. And we would just make up stuff. Right. And that's how we, we, uh, we, we play 
concert after concert. Hey, let me just jump in here. You, you remember when we did this show up and we were at the Fillmore, and I think uh, 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 Janis Joplin had died, and we got Eric got the message that Janis Joplin died when we were on stage, and we just went into this whole jam for for the whole show called Creation, and it's recorded. Was that in was that the West Coast film or East Coast? Yeah, right. yeah, it was West Coast film or San Francisco. We yeah. remember the song called "We Did This." It was just called "Creation," and it was like this whole jam for about an hour. And that would probably be some of the most incredible music that people could get get to that right there. But I don't know what that would, it would be. Well, Jerry has now. Jerry has everything. You know, he's got so much stuff stashed that because we recorded all the time. Yeah. Even Big Bear, I mean, uh, whatever that place was. Uh, uh, we, we played that club, uh, uh, it was like a house band, even, uh, Bear, what's it called now in, in, uh, by the beach there, um, Golden, Golden Bear. Bear. Yeah. Golden I mean, Bear, we, yeah, that's Seal Beach. And then where we went, we had, we had, uh, uh, um, um, we had recording gear always with us, rec remote recording. So there's so much stuff that, that, that sits in the archive and, um, you know, that's the, that was Jerry's way of always recording us, and we had no control of what what any time what he had or what we did. Any chance of you guys recording again? Well, we are. We have a lot of recordings. It doesn't mean it. It, it, it recording is not the thing. The marketing and and putting it out and distribution is is a whole nother game today. No. So I formed my own record label as for that reason called Dreams We Share because I, right. I got to find a home for stuff I'm producing and recording. And we all are creative and we never stopped playing music well, or creating. We just, don't have a, we just don't have a home for it as of yet right now. Now Eric's in Greece now, right? I just heard that uh, he's yeah. talked about it and his wife, uh, you know, is, yeah. is originally from Greece. So, you know, he's a restless soul who... who uh, May find happiness. I don't know. Okay. So when are you guys going to hit the road again, considering we're allowed to? Are you ready to go? Do you have to? Well, it's not about going on the road. Uh, if there's not a, if there's no promoters, if a promoter is not interested because they look at the trademark war, it's not, and we can't say formally anything, it's in, it's not in their interest. We give them ammunition. You can name the tunes. There's other ways. But unfortunately, most promoters look at the ticket sales and they're very short-sighted. So when we finally get a gig once in a while, based on because of that circumstances, I call it a, uh, we call it a rare a, a, a rare a, a rare commodity. So lowrider band, as far as I'm concerned, is a rare commodity. When you when you hire us, you better pay a lot of money. You better pay a, a, not a lot, but you better pay a good price. Because we're not interested in being on the road, gig after gig, and a little money. I mean, I'm too old for that shit. Yeah. So Elliot, amen. <laughs> amen. Wait, wait, check this, Elliot. Yes. When you get the lowrider band on 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 any show, you're gonna have one of the best bands that ever came up. What we did with War was fine. I but the lowrider band has all that. Plus, we have the maturity right now to That's play right. to play these songs that we created and jam them better than anybody. So I put us on the stage. With, with Rolling Stones, they have to sit back and take a back seat. Well, I, I saw the I band. Said, I saw I saw the band in Phoenix about I agree. maybe six seven years ago. You guys did a festival in Phoenix, you know, Tempe, whatever, someplace in Arizona. Okay, and you guys ripped it up. You guys are fucking great. And we don't even rehearse. 
Well, okay, that's even a plus. But I mean, you guys, I mean, you guys were tight. You guys had it all. I mean, we were, you know, I hate to say it, but we were almost put in a poor house because of as as uh, because of uh, revenues are not uh, being collected properly. I mean, not getting you know what's our share. We we've been we've we've been in, in more than business. We've been doing legal stuff, you know, which to me has nothing to do with music. Right. And but unfortunately, this is the way of we have gotten to. Um, have to deal with things. And who? And how many times have you guys? How many guys have you guys? Been, how many times have you been sampled? Hundreds, thousands. Well, I don't know, but uh, but you know, uh, sample, uh, sample again, like anything. We we, our stuff has been been used and making a lot of revenues, but unfortunately, we don't get our share of those revenues with without a struggle. Okay. okay? Yeah. And that's that's. But, so we don't even have enough money sometimes in budgets to go in before a gig to be there a week before with all the expenses of hotels and all that. That's, that's the reality. Yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 check this. If, you, if we ever get the lowrider band, which is what I said is true, like Lee said we don't rehearse. If we get into a two-week rehearsal with this band right here, man, all gloves is off, man. Nobody could touch this band. Nobody. Yeah. But that's just us. Yeah. Oh. And that album right there, um, I didn't get the, my publishing back on that because that album, the first album called just called Leosco, uh, fell into uh, the old uh, publishing uh, copyright. I mean, the copyright oh, really? law, and the new copyright laws was after that. So I got my other two albums reverted um, the music to me. But Jerry, if Jerry was a nice man and 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 really had remorse and realized. The stuff that's been going on and made it and would have made a difference. He would said, "Lee, I'll let you have the first album too, since I'm not, you know." But he's not a nice guy, as far as I'm concerned. And when you get got to deal with somebody in legal shit rather than in business, that's not a nice nice experience. So Harold Harold's the man who keeps um, all the memorabilia. No, Lee got more yeah. than I do. I, have, <laughs> but he's more organized. So Howard, what are you up to these days? Man, what am I up to? Well, the radio. Talk to um, me. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do a radio show every Wednesday. Man, let me tell you, we do blues on my radio show better than anybody in this dadgum country, man. We kill the blues. We got a word, we got a word for the blues on my show, right? Yeah. It's called ugly. ugly. And that makes your face get all twisted because it's so ugly. dadgum good. But then when you get past ugly, it's called ugly. <laughs> wow. So That's how, how, I, just, I, I do my radio show here, but I, I'm studying writing and creating. I have some songs that I'm gonna bring to the Lowrider band that uh just like Lee. Lee has a, a lot of great songs. Harold does too. But when we put all these songs together on our, our next venture, yeah, man, that's just gonna really man put to put a, a note on what we are now because it's very mature music, but it's very good music. Wow. You know about that's this album I, cover? I was talking is, to Jerry about a week ago, and I said, wow. Yeah, I was telling somebody, the art, yeah, the artist that did this, he's out of Long Beach here. And Jerry said, well, that's why we did it like Long Beach. Well, you can see LBC right here. The LBC. Wait a minute, where's this cover from? This is from that special, you know, uh, album cover, you know, albums they put out. Oh, I didn't know they did it in vinyl. Okay. Yeah, so I got the whole vinyl. I paid, you know, I paid... 
I had to pay to get that mama jack. Come out of there. How much was it? 150 bucks? Well, you're supposed to be able to get them for 99, but I think I spent about 160 bucks. Is this one available? Yeah. You can still find them. Howard, so now how, do I, Howard how do I hear your radio show? Uh, it's FBRN.us. FBI? FBRN, Fishbowl Radio Network.us. Hey, yeah, I play. Play for Christmas, okay. okay. I have I'll, I'll have Lee on my show and Harold on my show. Just you know, just to kick it around. We talk like just like we're doing right now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is that released to Rhino Records? That vinyl? Yeah, it's uh. I'll find. Lee, you didn't I'll know that record was out. What's that, Howard? I said you didn't know that was out. I didn't know it was in vinyl. I just know that they're re releasing the catalog, but I this didn't is know all vinyl. I mean, I've never seen the package or anything, and I don't I didn't know it was vinyl. Do you guys? Uh, Oops. Do, you, do you guys get any kind of uh, royalty from that? Yeah, technically, okay. yeah. With the audit. Yeah, we we uh, we are collecting slowly but surely what's oh, due us. Good. Look at they they pilot they they colored the car. I just noticed that. Wow. This is in it. You could go nice on Amazon set. and find that, Lee. Okay, I'm going to do that. So um, I spoke, uh, Harold Howard, speaking of uh, blues, I interviewed um, Dion this week. Dion? Yeah, Dion DiMucci from Dion and the Belmonts. Man, we talking about blues. You, you're talking about blues and Dion? No, he just, <laughs> he, he just put out three blues <laughs> albums. He just put out three killer blues albums. Okay, I don't. I haven't heard this blues album. Well, listen to me, Eric Clapton, uh, Peter Frampton. Oh, wait a minute, man, hold up! You want to put out some blues? You better talk about about blues. blues. No, 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 no. no. Joe Bonamassa, um, um, Sonny Landreth. (laughs) He got some legitimate guys playing for him. Wait a minute, man! I grew grew up with with BB King and so did I. Wayne Bennett, Mama Thornton, Wayne Bennett. Okay, playing the Jeffies, man, with uh, uh, all these cats out of San Pedro, man. I saw blues players, real, real blues players. Wait a minute, it's 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 all about. (laughs) There's somebody that knows how to play blues, that could think they play blues, or somebody that really grew up playing blues. They got blues from their heart. Well, I I spoke. I I spoke to Mud Morganfeld the other day. All right, now you're talking. Now Mud is really pissed off because he can't make any money. I wonder why. Because um, of COVID, he can't go anywhere, and he's he's just hurting, you know. He's just. He's I'm not really... gonna get political today, man. I don't feel like it. Okay. Oh. Yeah. It's. Um... Yeah. So, um, are you going to be doing a blues thing? Is that going to be your next uh, thing, Howard? Yeah, that's up to Lee. I think. I think if we do a blues thing, it'll be a killer. I do too. Yeah, I mean. What do you think, Lee? Well, I think uh, we are loyal to our arts. We are we are true artists. Uh, I mean, we we couldn't cope mentally if we had to if we had to do something other than, other than our arts. I mean, really, I think I I know myself. They would have to put me in a stretch and lock me up. <laughs> I, I I would not. I would I wouldn't be able to function. Even though I'm good with business and all that, honestly. So before I get answer about the blues thing, let me just say to you guys, I, I being Jewish and and the anti-Semitic, just like African Americans, you know, we have all these. 
uh, we have fears, you know, because yes. of pred predators and persecutions. So my fear has filtered because of what happened to my mother and they had it happened in a death camp that they survived. And fortunately, then I'm born. And it, and it continued through me, it filtered through me. And living with this fear, I mean, for all these years, was horrific in me. Um, so I liberated myself, and I did that album, Never Forget. Right. And it's on vinyl, too. Now, what my point is that if I go to the grave and I didn't, and I didn't, pay, I didn't do my music expressing the true things that are going on in my heart and soul, I would have been very upset at myself when I'm dead, dying, that I didn't live up to what I expect of myself as an artist. So as an, as an artist, we, we are our fiduciary responsibility to society, if we're really a true artist, is to be creative and express things that are always around us. We reflect on what's around us. That's what an artist does. Politicians, in a true sense, they then take what artists express and because the artist expressing that tells you what community is thinking, what are people saying in the neighborhood, that's what artists will let you know. Then, okay. it, then the politicians will recognize that and put policies in place. So when you talk about the blues, I want to do a blues album when it's least expected, which could be any time now. But I want to do it with a certain attitude where we can also throw in a journey in between it. So we are taking what we do unknown be creative-wise with our music and still do a hardcore blues album that is part of that journey. So we are really, as artists, rather than just milking a, a bourgeois, middle-class fucking phenomena that has eked out and, 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 and um, deluded this amazing the amazing things of where the blues actually came from. It's more of a white, lily fucking thing today oh, than... Yeah. You beat me. I agree. Listen, what, what, what Lee says is absolutely true. I'll say it not going to get political... But the blues came from the, 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 the cotton fields of Mississippi. It came up behind a mule. It came from, from, from people that came out of slavery. It was a, when you, when you want to hear the blues, it would be at the juke joint on Saturday night in Mississippi, right. Crossroad, Mississippi. Muddy Waters, Johnny Taylor, all them cats were the blues. It was a black thing that white folks didn't even want to recognize until now. So, Blues is not a black anymore. Blues is not a black thing anymore. It's a white thing. So you're talking about all these white guys that are playing blues. Well, they can play the blues. But what the, what the, what the um, industry recognizes blues right now is, is where it originally came from. It's where it is right now today. Howard. And, and not only that, but, you know, a 1-4-5 change, a 1-2-4 change, a 1-2-5 or a 1-4-5 change, any of those kind of changes is contagious. The yeah. whole world... The whole world loves those kind of motifs. Right. And yet, so when you hear somebody say, hey, uh, Lee, yeah, I know this, these Native Americans, they, yeah, they, you can, they, I can, I can, because I wanted some Native, <coughs> some Native American music on my Never Forget album. So they introduced me to this guy who's Native American and he plays, I was born in Chicago. <laughs> Howard, you guys, you guys were around in, in the '60s and stuff. How about players like um, uh, what's his name, Mike Bloomfield? Yeah, I, I know Mike Bloomfield. Eric, Eric, let me tell you who was the who was the, the blues guy, real blues guy. Remember Joe Cocker? Yeah. Oh yeah. He said he, but he was a big guy. Said so he sang just like Ray Charles. You know? Wow. Eric yeah. Burton came up. 
doing blues. Mick Jagger came up playing blues because the whole influence for all those English guys were they loved the blues so much that they gravitated to it and learned how to play it. But then, then they became the blues guys over the guys that created it. Right. Uh, Howard, well, can I fill in well, a little bit more there? Yeah, they, well, they, on. They, they, they gave the blues back to America, those English well, guys. But, you know, there was a thing that went on during the 1800s, late 1800s, where a lot of uh, black people, former, you know, yeah, they got more respect when they went to Europe. Right. So they went to Europe, even like the first black uh, female airplane pilot. She was a mail carrier in Europe, but here she couldn't have flown. Right. And so, so a lot of blues people go over there, and that's why, like, when we first started traveling Europe and started playing our music, we got more respect over in Europe than we did actually right here in our own neighborhood. Yeah. Well, the same thing with the jazz guys. The jazz guys got more respect in Europe, too. And you know how they wound up there? It was easier to score heroin in Europe than it was here. Oh, I didn't know that. So a lot of the jazz guys went to England because, you know, it was all social medicine, and they were able to get, you know, straightened out for free pretty much. That's a a pretty good uh, insight there. That's very. I didn't know that. That makes sense because back when I was doing blow, I was chasing after it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that's, that's why they wound up in Europe, you know. And, oh. um, so, so I'm glad I'm glad I told you guys something today. So what? So what do you guys think about uh, the shitstorm we're living in now? We're going back. We're going. We we lost the shitstorm that they call America now. We're a mess, aren't we? I think the whole world is is in, is under the same belt. If, yeah, I think so too. If anybody is a mess, everybody else is a mess too. I mean. I mean, uh, the world is very small with the technology and, uh, today. Uh, there's no mystery and we all, and we travel everywhere and so they, everybody's affecting everybody. I, I don't mean that. I'm talking about this, just the uh, racial stuff going on. Well, the racial stuff is even worse in Europe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's, it, 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 the DNA of human beings has always been a scary thing because people will, will lean on, on a particular side to feel that they, they have the real answers and everything else is bullshit, or they feel like they're right and, and that the blame is on somebody else. That's the propaganda that, that, that politicians, unfortunately, uh, some politicians will use to get, you know, to create these horrific things. I mean, the blame on humanity is not blame on Hitler. The blame is not on anybody but hum, human beings buying the bullshit and then causing horrific yeah, things no. to each other. So, so again, commonality is 99%. We all have so much commonality, and yet everybody says, oh, you should appreciate the differences between different people. No, fuck, don't start there. Start with recognizing the commonality. Then maybe you take the fear out of things, and then you can tolerate the, the slight differences people are and realize there's nothing wrong. But the problem is people have not even come close to that because everybody's like tribes. You look at the Republican and Democrats. They're not a political thing. It's a fucking tribes now. It is. Yeah. And, um, hey, hey, let's, what, what happened here in the United States, I would think, with the differences, we'd say we're the perfect storm, but the black people in this country were, like, brought over here as, as slaves, right? So we didn't have this country of our own. We had this. We were brought up here as slaves. So when it comes up to right now, 
people people look at the black folks for being like persecuted, but look at the people in China. China persecutes their people. The English persecute their people. The Syrians persecute their people. So Same we did a song called The World is a Ghetto. Yeah. We're all in this gun place together. We all feel the same thing. We all suffer the same thing, but we just cannot see the same thing. Yeah. So what's the answer? Is there an answer? The answer? Yeah. yeah. Music. Music, uh, if, the, if the arts, if you support the arts for the right reason, uh, it can be amazing to help uh, improve humanity among each other. And here's my point about that. When you see graffiti, when you see anybody expressing anything in arts, I don't care if it's how you paint a tree. I don't care if it's, you paint a tree good or not. It doesn't matter. But anybody who truly expresses should be recognized, as I said before, as a, as a, as a way to see what people are thinking. If, you, if, you, if the industry can recognize that arts is a, uh, is a way to monitor what people are saying, then you can figure out what will make good products, a healthy product to produce for any neighborhood because you know what they need, you know what they're asking for. So the arts is, is, a, is, not, is not resolving. The arts is, is just purely expressing, coming through the artist and back out what you see and what's going on around you. And if that's celebrated more than just, oh, it makes people feel good, but realize in the economical world, this is really the, the, the lens to, to see what people are saying so the industry can recognize what products is, we need to make and politicians in a true sense, not in the, in the cynical way, politicians in a true sense, just like an artist, then takes what people are saying and puts it into some recognized policies so there is some kind of chemistry and organization to, to improve and to get these things done. That's the true sense of things. So I think politicians are going to save the world the arts will save the world, and politicians will implement it. It's never going well, to well, One more thing. Let me try this here. With, with where we are today, the people that keeps everything going is division. So as long as you can have people not understanding each other, fighting each other, then you have the control that you want to do. You can control the world. You can get all the money you want as long as we are not united. So anytime that the Panthers came and said, power to the people, anytime uh, when, when the people finally realize that they really do have the power <laughs> and they get the powers to their politicians, then things will start changing. Because right now, if, if, if the, the unions in the United States say, okay, we're going to do this for the people, the politicians are going to say, hey, no, listen, we're not going to have that happen. We need division to keep things going. Okay. Divide and conquer. <laughs> Divide and conquer. Yeah. And the world is a ghetto. And Don't believe that, Harold. Why can't we be friends? Yeah, why can't we yeah. be friends? <laughs> why can't we be friends? I like and, and, and Howard Scott and Harold Brown, all of us are true artists. And I look forward to Harold and Howard agreeing with this vision. And we're going to do a memoir, produce memoirs of each of us. Because I think... And we owe that to ourselves if we really want to claim that we are an artist. We've got to get that shit out of us. I'd love to do one that's called The Lost Tribes and even go into African Americans, to slavery, to, to take it, make it a journey. I don't, I don't mean just traditionally playing some of these tunes, but in between each tune, 
it goes into a journey of it just travels where we get creative. I mean, I, I like to make stories with our music and that. We have so much, so much rich, um, uh, concepts and, and uh, entity that, that, um, has nothing to do with revenues and money. It has to do with the soul and the heart. The message. Survival and, and how we, how we, and, and all that's got to be expressed in the arts. And that's what I want to do, Howard, with us. We should do something. Yeah. Let me throw some. Uh, Leo. And, and it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> Howard. Howard. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Love I got to follow up on some more Bindi. I'll talk to you okay, guys I'm later. Out of here. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Peace out. Over and out. Bye-bye. DJ service at gmail.com. Any size contributions would be appreciated. Thanks for listening to New Mexico DJ Service presents Fly on the Wall podcast with your host Elliot Goldstein. This podcast is listener funded so if you wish to assist the Venmo info is New Mexico DJ Service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ Service at gmail.com. Any size contributions would be appreciated. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Fly on the Wall. There are more great interviews to follow so please list us as one of your favorites and be sure to follow. We are listener funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. Please remember to share our info. Thanking you all.